hot summer. It's hot enough for me and you, I do believe. But we're going to share a message today. Uh, I've never preached on this, but I want to talk about the elder brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal. Thank you, guys. That was a great job. How many of you wish you could sing like those sisters? Amen. Jesus' most most famous parable is probably the prodigal son. If you ask almost anybody, what what do you know about Jesus' teachings, you're probably going to hear something about the prodigal son. Hear a lot about the prodigal son, but you know who we never hear about? The third minor character in the story who is the elder brother. And I want to talk to you about the elder brother syndrome today because the parable is as much about him, I believe, as it was the prodigal who ran away. Let's look at what Jesus said starting at verse 25. It's sort of jumping into the middle of the parable. Uh, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Now it's jumping in when the prodigal has come home. And and the elder brother's out in the field. And he hears a big party going on, all kinds of hoopla. And he goes and he asks one of the servants, What in the world is all the noise? What am I hearing? The music and the dancing that's going on in the house. So he asked one of the servants, verse 26, what's going on? Verse 27, the servant told him something that should have been good news. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. Well, any brother, you would think, would go, praise God, that rascal has come home. But that's not what happened. The older brother was angry. And wouldn't go in. Wow. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, and here comes the elder brother's issue. He says, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, After squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Well, his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And by the way, you see revelations up there. Don't miss this Wednesday night. We're talking about the Mark of the Beast, 666. This series on Revelations has been dynamite uh, and just great attendance. Don't miss it. But let's pray now about this elder brother. Father, purge from us any of the elder brother syndrome and help us to be like the father of our house. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this is going to be good today. You better listen. All right, let's, uh, let's look at this. Now, you know the story. I told you quickly in a nutshell, the story of the prodigal. He decided he'd had enough of the father's house, took his inheritance, ran off to a far country, and there he squandered all of his inheritance, tragically, on riotous living. Well, he woke up one day, and the Bible says he came to himself, which insinuates he kind of lost his mind. When you leave the father's house, there's a level of insanity to it. And he came to himself and said, man, I had it so good in the father's house. 
if I can even get back in as a servant, it's better than this. And so he came back. Father saw him coming from a long ways off. And this is a picture of God the Father. He did not stand there with his arms crossed, tapping his feet, waiting for the younger son to come crawling back home and scathe him. No, he ran to meet him, threw his arms around him, wept on his neck, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, threw a great big welcome home party. Now, folks, catch this. That was the heart of the father of the house. That was the heart of the father of the house. The father welcomed the prodigal back home with open arms, thrilled that he had come back. But then you come to the reaction of the elder brother, and here's what you realize. And I want you to catch this today. The elder brother, we're going to see in this story, was just as prodigal as was the prodigal. He was just as prodigal as the youngest son. They just manifested it differently. The youngest son was lost in a far country, but the elder brother was lost in the house. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because, see, you can be in the house and not know the father of the house. You can be in the house and be disconnected from the father of the house. You see, this was a dysfunctional home. This was a major dysfunctional home. You had a dad doing his best to raise two boys, and one of them decided to rebel openly, take the inheritance, and run away. And there the devil was waiting for him and wasted him in no time at all. But then you had a rebel who stayed in the house. He was, he was sitting down on the outside but standing up on the inside. He was in the house, but he was not of the house. See, we need to really look at this elder brother because Jesus did not put him in there by mistake or just as an afterthought. We hear a lot about the younger one, but the elder one here we need to look at because there are people who leave the house and go into rebellion, and there are people who are in the house, in the church, in the house of God, but they are not of the Father's heart. They don't know, they're not, they're not a reflection of the Father. Now, let me, let me just tell you some good things about this elder brother. He wasn't bad at all. He wasn't all bad at all. He had some good qualities. First of all, he was a hard worker. There's no question about it. When we first encounter him, where is he? He's out in the field working for his father. In fact, in verse 29, we are told the elder brother points out to the father that he has provided years of continuous labor, faithful service to the father. His work ethic was excellent. This elder brother had an outstanding work ethic. He was in the service of the father. Outwardly, he was doing the father's work, and he was doing it well. He's a good laborer, the kind of guy that you want on your staff, the kind of guy that you want working next to you. While the younger brother was out sowing his wild oats, the elder brother was hard at work in the field sowing the seeds of real oats to bring in a great harvest for the father. 
So on the outside, he looked great. We also know that he was outwardly, outwardly an obedient son. He did not demand the inheritance that the younger son did. He did not rebel against the father. There was no irresponsibility there, no squandering of his father's wealth on loose living like the younger son. He was obedient outwardly. Outwardly, this guy looked sterling, stellar, outwardly. In fact, verse 29 tells us again that he said to the father, I have never, not one time, neglected a command of yours. He was submissive to the will of his father. He was conscientious concerning the father's expectations. This guy looked great. We could almost say, looking at him from the outside, he was the ideal son. The son that everybody wants. Look at my son. He does everything I say. He's got a great work ethic. He's out there helping the house produce. Never broke his daddy's heart. Never felt the need to hemorrhage out of the house and rebel against his dad. Never came out from under the roof. Stayed right out there in the field. And it's also very safe to say about this elder brother, he was morally upright. Because you see that he had righteous indignation against the sin of little bro. So he had a sense of right and wrong. He had a sense of ethics and morality. He was a great worker. He was never disobedient. But you know what? In spite of all these great characteristics, and I want you to catch this because there is a great truth here. The elder son was not right in his heart. Everything outside looked great, but he wasn't right in his heart. He was playing the game, going through the motions, doing everything expected of him in the father's house. But in his heart, he was untouched. In his heart, he was not a reflection of the Father. In his heart, he did not have the Father's character or temperament or outlook or worldview or anything. He was around the Father, but he wasn't like the Father. And I'm going to tell you, this happens in churches all the time. Now, I want us to notice some key things about this elder brother because Jesus told us about him for a reason. And I believe one of the reasons is so that we would not be in the Father's house and not catch the Father's heart. He was in the Father's house, but he did not share his Father's heart. Jesus tells us in verse uh, 28, he became angry when he heard that little brother had come home and they were throwing a big party for him. That anger comes from the Greek word orgizo, and it means to explode in wrath. He wasn't just a little bit uh, perturbed or irritated. He blew his stack. He lost his temper. He was furious. Now, look at him and look at the father. Here's the father in the house, rejoicing, throwing a party, having a good time, welcoming little brother back home, weeping, crying over, with joy over his return. What was elder brother doing? The antithesis, the opposite, outside, in the cold, in the dark, steaming, furious, the opposite. Filled with explosive rage, it's obvious he had not caught the Father's heart of love, though he was in the house. 
Second thing I see about him is by refusing to fellowship. Watch this. This is so real. I've seen it a million times pastoring. By refusing to fellowship with his brother, he also excluded. He excluded himself from the fellowship of the father's household. Because he would not re-embrace and love and forgive his little brother in the house, he was excluded from the house. Oh, what a truth there. How many people are not in church today? Not, not, I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about all over the world. They're not in church because they're mad over a little bro who got forgiven and they don't want to run into him at church. Come on, everybody. The elder brother syndrome. What a, what a frightening thought that you can be in the father's house doing the father's work about the father's business and not have the father's heart. Mm, 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 mm. I came to preach today. I hope you came to listen. I came to preach today. This is truth. This is truth. It says, it says his father had to go outside to encounter him, had to go outside to talk to him because he wasn't in the father's house because he couldn't go in the father's house because he couldn't share in the joy of the father's house. He couldn't share in the celebration of the father's house. He could not partake of the father's house because he was not like the father's house. Because of his rage and his unforgiveness, he forfeited fellowship with the father and everybody else in the house. Man, there was a party going on in there. And he could not partake of it. He missed the joy. He missed the celebration. He missed the blessing. He missed the food. He missed the friends. He missed everything that was going on in the father's house. Because he had the elder brother syndrome. Listen, when we refuse to receive who the father has received, I'm going to say that again. When we refuse to receive who the Father has received, Jesus said, if you receive them, you receive me. If you reject them, you reject me. If you love so much as the least of those in my house, you have loved me. If you don't love the least of those in my house, you have not loved me. You see, To love a brother or to love a sister is to love Jesus himself and to love the father of the house because he died for them like he died for you. Church, we can't be religious. we got to walk in love. Love. I'm not saying overlook sin. I'm not saying not deal with sin. What I'm pointing out here is this little brother had repented with all of his soul, all of his might, and he was crawling back to the father's house in total sincerity. And this elder brother did not receive him, did not accept him. When we refuse to receive who the father has received, our attitude places us outside the house. Woo! Because where was he standing? The elder brother wasn't in the house in the middle of the living room standing there looking mad. He was out in the dark, out in the cold, fuming, pacing, angry, unforgiving. 
He looked great on the outside, but on the inside there was a heart problem. See, fellowship and rejoicing happen in the Father's house. If it's really the Father's house, when we meet together, this is why these people who say, well, you know, I'm just going to have church in my living room. We just break out the crackers and the, and the punch, and we have communion. We four, no more. We sit in my living room, and we have church. And so I don't need to go to church. Can I tell you something? That's not biblical. It's not right. Because there is something that happens when those that are of the Father meet in the Father's house. There is something that breaks loose. It is joy. It is celebration. It is peace. It is fellowship. And you've got to have the Father's house. Well, I'm just not going to go to the Father's house because so many hypocrites are in there. Oh, come on. Come on to the Father's house and just be one more hypocrite in the house. We're all hypocrites. See, if you're looking for a reason to stay out of church, the devil will give you 60 of them in one minute flat. But I want you to notice something, that this elder brother, this elder brother drove himself out of the house because he would not forgive and love and take on the Father's heart. And, you know, he, there was something else he was guilty of, and probably the worst, and it was self-righteousness. And that's another characteristic of the elder brother syndrome. There's always a level of self-righteousness when you, after all, cannot forgive this dastardly rebel who walked away from God and backslid and sinned and harumph. And how could they do such a thing? Why, I've never done such a thing. Why, I would never do that. Why, I will never receive them again because I am holy and they are not. No, you're full of pride. Listen to the, 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 the elder brother. Listen to what he said. When the father came out to talk to his enraged son, he immediately called the father's attention to several things. And this was his beef. All the wonderful things he had done in the father's house over all those years. He said in verse 29, he said, I've never neglected one of your commands. I've worked tirelessly for years. I've done everything just right. I've been right out there when you needed me. I this, I that, I did this, I did that. I was perfect. I was flawless. I never fell. I never shamed your name. I never did any of these things. And you know what? This attitude echoes the proud Pharisee. In another parable of Jesus, Jesus told this parable, it says a Pharisee stood up and he prayed these words, God, God, you know, as soon as they start to pray, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And give a tenth of all I get. You see him, don't you? You see him and you hear him and you know the type. Because when you get around them, they make you nervous. Because you feel like you never measure up. You feel like you're never going to cut it with them. Because they're just perfect. But you know what you find out? If you hang around long enough, they got heart problems. They do. But watch this now. 
Jesus went on with his parable and said, but a tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the elder brother syndrome is a syndrome that is, that is, that is uh, rife with self-righteousness. And there's probably no more revolting attitude that you can encounter in the church of Jesus Christ than self-righteousness. You know why? Because it breeds attitudes of superiority over other people. And it drives the needy and the hurting and the broken out of the church, saying to themselves, well, I can't go in there because I can't measure up. I got faults. I got mistakes. I got sins. I'm broken. I have failed. And those people in there, they're all perfect. No, we've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. Nobody can hold themselves up to another and say, I'm better than you. We are equal at the foot of the cross. Black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor. We're all of one blood. See, with this elder brother, this elder brother who looked so good on the outside had developed within himself this syndrome I'm talking about today. And it ended in something Jesus taught about and taught against in the Sermon on the Mount. It ended in absolute contempt for his brother. You can hear it in verse 30 when he spews out these words. This son of yours. Have you ever, have you ever parents, your kids mess up and you say to your spouse, your son. You know what I'm talking about? They mess up. And, 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 and you guys have a fight. And, and one of them messes up and rebels, and, and you, you go doing it this way. Like, you don't even know them. Like, you had nothing to do with them being born. You just say, that son of yours, that daughter of yours. Because you want to put the blame off on your spouse. Hey, can I tell you, you were there when they were conceived. He said, this son of yours, not, not, this brother of mine, not this brother of mine, he's not, he's not claiming any ownership, and that's what contempt does. Contempt totally rejects the person it's aimed at. That's the danger of contempt. Contempt says, I don't know you, don't want you, don't acknowledge your existence. That's the nature of contempt. It's like he was saying, he may be your son, but he's not my brother. And don't we do that sometimes in the church? Well, you may have forgiven him. Praise God. But I'm not talking to him. I'm not acknowledging him. I'm not receiving him. He's never coming to my house again. His self-righteousness, contempt, and anger led him to the point where he could no longer even regard this person as a brother. And this is exactly what the elder brother syndrome produces. How often do you see this now in the church? The same contempt displayed in the family of God for those who have failed or those with less spiritual experience or those in different denominations or those Methodists over there 
Well, those Baptists over there, see, we're interdenominational. We got a melting pot here. We got Baptists, we got Methodists, we got Presbyterians, we got Episcopalians, we got Assembly of God, we got Pentecostal, we got Pagan. We got it all. I'm interdenominational because I don't think Jesus created denominations. That is, I'm not, I'm not anti-denominational. I have friends in all denominations. But I think he intended it for us to all be a huge family. And so even though they might have a different denominational tag, I have wonderful Baptist friends, wonderful Assembly of God friends. And I'm going to cut fellowship with them just because we disagree on a few doctrinal points. If they believe in the blood of Jesus and the cross and the work of grace and that He is our Savior and our Messiah, they're my brother, they're my sister, and they're welcome here. Finally, there was envy and jealousy, and we'll come down to the close now. Envy and jealousy popped right up. Listen to the envious words this elder brother was filled with. You kill the fatted calf for him, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You've neglected me. I'm neglected. Nobody notices me in the house of God. I'm not getting my credit. I'm not getting my dues. I'm not getting the attention I deserve. Don't you know who's sitting here? <laughs> I do all these things and nobody says anything to me. Nobody acknowledges me. I wish you'd kill a fatted calf for me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This hard-working, obedient, devoted son who never committed the type of sins committed by his younger brother was also a prodigal, far from his father's heart. He nursed a heart filled with anger, envy, self-righteousness, contempt, and pettiness. Wow. On the outside, based on his works, he appeared to be the perfect son, but on the inside, the opposite. Now, here was the way the tragedy rippled out in a ripple effect. It affected everybody around him. The prodigal son was deprived of the warm, loving welcome he should have received from his elder brother when he returned home. The father was torn away from the celebration had to go outside, leave the joy and leave the celebration of the moment to go outside in order to deal with a son plagued with a wrong attitude. Even the elder brother himself suffered because he severed himself from the fellowship of the family and was standing outside miserable, angry, and alone. Know anybody that way? The story closes with the father doing what he does with you and me and what he's doing right now. The story closes with a father going out there and trying to teach him his heart. And he does it this way. Facing a fuming, red-eyed, dejected son, he said these words to him, My child, you have always been with me, and everything I have is yours. Translated, you haven't lost anything. 
You've still got your inheritance. You are secure in me no matter what I do with anyone else. So don't you let envy bite you. Well, they're so blessed and they sinned. And I've been perfect in the house. No. He said, everything I've got is yours. He said, he said let me explain my actions to you. We had to be merry and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead. He was a dead duck. And he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. A tragedy, elder brother, has been averted. A possibly tragic ending has been turned around. A satanic assignment against your little brother has been defeated. You ought to be rejoicing, and you ought to be in there handing him a piece of that fatted calf. And he not only appeals to his sense of reason, but he appeals to his emotions. And he says, let me tell you something. He's, he's family. He says, my child, this your brother has come home. The message of the elder brother in summary here is that there are those in the church that are hardworking, devoted sons and daughters of the father in many ways, but they have a heart condition. They lack love. They know the Father's work, but they don't know the Father's heart. And this makes it hard for them to forgive and accept people who don't measure up in their eyes. And this attitude prevents them from being redemptive. Church, always be redemptive. Your God is redemptive. Your God forgave you this week. Your God has forgiven you things that you thank God nobody knows about. Your God has washed you by the blood. Your God has how many times raised you from the dead? How many times has he put you back on your feet? How many times has he renewed your hope again? How many times has he breathed fresh life into you? He's redemptive. And so if he's redemptive with you, you've got to be redemptive with other people. You say, I know you messed up. I know you fell. I know you stained yourself with sin. But I want to tell you, friend, I know the thoughts he thinks towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. He's a good God. Stand with me, would you? And I'm going to give you the moral of the story. Here's the moral of the story of the elder brother. The church family should always be a place of safety. Everybody say with me, a place of safety. A realm of loving acceptance. A refuge where failure never has to be fatal. And a sanctuary where those who stumble may find a hand up rather than a kick in the head while down. That's the family of God. Let's pray together. Father, help us to resist the, bro the elder brother syndrome. Help us, Lord, to not be a Pharisee. Yes, Lord, we have to discipline sin. And yes, Lord, we have to call sin, sin. But we have to love the sinner and be redemptive towards the sinner and receive the, the repentant sinner.
and rejoice that they have found home again. Now, will you breathe a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, if there's any elder brother in me, please show me and change me to be like the father of the house. With every head bowed, you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I, I kind of got a little prodigal. I drifted. I drifted from God. I drifted away from the, the Father's house. And I've gotten out there, and I need to come home. Or you can say, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I've been in the house, but I haven't been of the house. I've been in the house, but I haven't reflected the Father's heart. Been judgmental. I've been unforgiving. Been mean-spirited. And I want to be like the Father. You can say, I'm in one of those two categories today. You know, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. And it can begin today by just saying, Lord, I want to be of your heart and I want to come home. I want to get right in Jesus' name.